So I'm going to share a message that is going to be very, very different from Sunday morning. But it's because I believe that your house is in a major stepping forward mode. And I have learned, even though I have fought sharing this today because I want to do my message on healing and miracles and and uh, but I've also learned that suddenlies are always preceded by obedience. Are you with me? So I want you to sit back this morning and 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 take in something that you may have never heard. Several years ago, 2005, I did your men's conference and I alluded to this. You were not there. You were just. Still walking through some things with your accident. So I want you to grab your Bibles, if you would. And I want you to get ready because I want to speak to you as a statesman this morning, not as an evangelist. I want to speak to you as a friend of the house and a brother. And I want to speak to you about some things burning in my spirit for this place. Because what you've got to understand is this morning I'm moving into a word simply titled the Abishai anointing. Or the subtitle would be the man, the man in the shadows could be the woman. Now, ladies, understand that that we're the bride of Christ. So that means someday I may have to wear a dress. Not excited about it because I chafe. Not excited. But we're also all sons of God. So if I got to wear a dress, you got to be a fella. So when I say the subtitle is the man in the shadows, I am speaking to everyone. I'm here to bring honor today. And I told you in the in back in the room back there that I'm going to probably make you feel awkward today. And I have done that a couple times in our relationship. Because I want to honor you today. Open your Bibles. I want you to look at Hebrews, the 10th chapter, and then I'm going to take you on a journey. So I want you to have your Bibles out. I want to hear those pages flipping today because I must share some things with you that that may be a bit different, but I will get into it. What what I call the Abishai anointing. Do you understand that every leader gets tired of leading? Every leader needs downtime time when they can regroup and get back to the basics, a time to sew their armor back on. I've often said the greater the anointing, the greater the isolation. I've often said that when you go into ministry because you have this innate desire to be seen, stand on stage, declare what God put inside of you. You feel as if you're going to explode when you have the call of God on you. I said it to the men yesterday. The best way to know you're called to preach is you wake up thinking about it. You go to bed thinking about it and everything that happens to you be a great sermon illustration. And if you ignore it, you're going to be a mean board member. The meanest people I've ever met are the ones who have ignored the call. So they still think they can operate on the edge of that anointing. Romans eleven twenty nine. God's gifts and call are irrevocable. Once he kisses you with his touch, you cannot run from it. I got a text very late last night from a friend who her, her husband was in my wedding. I, we were roommates in college and apparently something horrible is happening. And, and she said, I need you to call him tomorrow afternoon after he makes an announcement to the church. And I thought to myself, oh, no. 
See, I don't have a right to mess up. I don't possess the right to do what normal men do. So therefore, if we sometimes come in looking past you or without deliberately ever doing that, but we, we seemed heavy or we seem like we're not really where we're at because a leader's never where they're at. They're always at the next place trying to get there. And, and, and I have learned that I can't be normal. When I sat on a plane on the way to Singapore one day and the lady comes up and the lights are down on the plane and they're serving us a meal. And, and, and because I fly so much, I was sitting in business class and, 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 and I didn't even realize it, but all of a sudden they put a wine glass there and I, I don't drink alcohol and i've been asked many times will that send you to hell well i know that it can send you to jail and um when asked by a world-renowned band as we played golf in australia one time and uh although when you play golf with me you probably should drink um i need to be numb to what's happening around you. And, and, and all, all of a sudden they looked at me and they said, well, we, 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 we think it's okay to drink alcohol. And, and I said, well, come on, Pat. And I felt peer pressure for the first time in a long time. And, and I said, why are you trying to get me to do what destroyed my family? See, I'm not allowed to possess some civil liberties that you have. I'm just not. Because sitting on that plane from Singapore, all of a sudden I looked over and the lady had poured me a glass of wine. Oh, you're going to get religious on us? No. I, what you call religious, I call holiness. So it's just the potato, potato. And, uh, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I looked over and I pushed the, the flight attendant button and I said, ma'am, I don't drink alcohol. You can take that away. Just give me a Coke. I need it. Something will make Mormons mad. And, and, um, <laughs> and immediately, I, uh, as I uh, did that, this couple sitting next to me, I, I hadn't spoken to them. I hadn't said a word to them. They were an Asian co- a couple, and uh, they leaned over to us. And it's about halfway through the flight by this point when they, the lights came on, or the outside, we were flying in, and the, the sun was coming up. I was readying myself to get off the plane. And this precious Asian lady leans over to me and she said, can I say something to you? And I said, sure. She said, we know you. You're preaching at our church this Sunday. I I was actually flying from Australia, that little five-hour flight from Perth to Singapore. And she said, and my husband leaned over to me and said, let's see what he does. Because we don't believe he should drink. And she said, here's our card. We own this company and we'd love for you to come eat in our restaurant this week. And they became my friends. We prayed together. See, I'm not allowed to possess some of your freedoms. 
I can't go into a movie that will show nudity or take my Lord's name in vain. I can't. I'm sorry. I can't. I'm not allowed to. I'm not allowed to. I'm just not allowed to. And so there's a reason why I'm sharing all that. Because what you have to understand, this, quote, standing on stage, cool thing we get to do, which is the easiest part of our job. There are some things that I must share with you this morning concerning the Abishai anointing the man in the shadows. Hebrews 10:24. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. See, in Christianity, we're really good at bearing are wounded and the statistics are astounding uh, 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 last three or last week three pastors called me that wanted to quit the ministry every 90 minutes someone quits every uh, 1500 pastors men or women leave the ministry a month and and i know the weight that hits the vision i know the pain of what it's like to lose a family and send them to idaho i know what it's like to see a family sitting in back who used to sit in front but now they've disconnected and you can see the disconnection and uh, and a mocking look or of sorts and, and then they come to you and they say uh, the Lord has told us that, that we're not to stay here any longer and I want to look at them and say well he told me you were supposed to say so some of us some of, one of us has a uh, is a liar best be careful saying thus saith the Lord because when you do that you remove our card or excuse me you play the card that can have no argument God said okay goodbye pain of marrying and bearing and loving a family for years and losing them when God's called you to shepherd them and walk with them. There's nothing like that pain. It stabs and it doesn't really let up. We'll see you at a restaurant a year later, but it still hurts. Okay, let's get honest. What you have to understand is, let me share about an anointing today that is that 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 falls on the most the most feared person in hell. You might think I'm speaking about someone who stands in front of thousands and speaks like a spiritual father of mine, Pastor Bunky. He is not the most feared. Let me tell you whose picture is up in hell's post office. It is the picture of the leader in the shadows. The ones who set the stage for the stage. The one who opened the curtains for the stage. The ones who stand alongside and walk with a second man anointing. They walk with an anointing. They are the ones who stand beside the leader. I'm preaching about a mantle that is going to fall on this house for the next level for this city. An anointing that says we're going to get you back. An anointing that says we're going to fight for you. An anointing that says we know you're not a deity. We know you're not perfect. We know you got flaws in your armor. And the closer we get to you, the more we we can see your flaws, but we will stand with you because his hand is upon you. Somebody praise my God today. And I've always been amazed at what an anointing that will send a couple to a city. Something very special, very rare that will bring a couple to a city and very powerful that come when they come to a community and said, I'm going to spend the rest of my life fighting hell here. Devil, you can't move me because I'm here to move you. A man that will come to a city 14 and a half years ago. By the way, I... 
began to study the numerology of the number 14 last night and uh, two times seven of course and the power of agreement with perfection so this this 14 and a half years you're you're in the year of deliverance and salvation that's why uh, the night of fire with Alan a very very close dear friend worth dying for who I have mentored they'll all be here uh, those guys I'm very very close to they're going to be that's why the open door for you to go onto the campus at, at Peoria High School all those things this is supposed to be your year of double completion seven perfection completion double and but then you're you're in six months or so you're going to step into your 15th year and I did a study on that it means divine grace rest and season of miracles in a day and age where a pastor stays a year and a half on average so I, I must, I must tell you, I, I love that anointing that says, I'm not, I'm not here to, to be moved by you, devil. I'm here to move you. I'm reminded of the great missionary evangelist, Lester Summerall, uh, who many years ago, he would go to Africa and preach and, 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 he, and, and he would speak to the, to, uh, groups of people and boy, he would face hell at different times. And Lester told a story of one time being in a village and as he was in that village, uh, he was sound asleep one night and in his hut and, and uh, he's laying in an old giant brass bed. And there was a witch doctor standing out in the middle of the compound who hated his guts because he was bringing Christ to the, to the heathen. And, and, and all of a sudden, he, he, be, he, he was sound asleep. And, and this witch doctor began to pray against him. And the bed began to shake uncontrollably and bounce in the room, this heavy, heavy old brass bed. And it's bouncing. And Lester wakes up. And, 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 and he's at this point. The bed is almost in the middle of the room and uh, the dirt floor. And, and Lester said, in the name of Jesus, stop it. Bed stopped. He lay there for a few moments and thought about the fact how heavy that bed was. And he said, in the name of Jesus, put it back. And the bed slid back to the wall. That's an anointing. Something about a leader who actually believes God can raise up his church in a hurting city and, and, and build God's kingdom. And listen, I can share this because I've kind of put my time in here and, and in this thing called ministry, I've kind of earned my rank in serial numbers. So I have to talk to you about the Abishai anointing or the shadow anointing is of, of those who come along the side of David, that, that David anointing. What I want you to do is I want you to understand God has designed this house to do this together. He has designed us to dream together in God's word, both the Old Testament, New Testament. It's all about relationship. A God who in the very beginning said it's not good only for not only good for man not to dwell alone. But God said, I don't want to be alone. So God created a man in his own image and that they might have fellowship with him. The heart of God is this. Everything we do, we do it as a team. There is power in friendship and agreement. There's power in covenant. I'm reminded of a year and a half ago when Karen and I started jogging together in the morning time. I love chasing her. And, and we started jogging together and something changed in our marriage. We've been married 21 years ago, uh, uh, last week and week and a half ago. And, and how many of you know that's, that's good stuff in, in, in this generation? And, and, uh, she's had all this. To run with. 
And all of a sudden, we began to realize the power of agreement after 20 years of marriage. We began to pray together. We pray. We have three prayers. We pray every morning. Pray for our, our, our finances because uh, our ministry is, is a faith ministry every week. And so we get an agreement on that. We pray over our calendar when we pray for our children. And boy, it is thwarted a plan, attacks of enemies. We've had the same dreams at night when we started praying together, telling us what to war against. And there's something about covenant relationship and the power of agreement ecclesiastes 4 2 though one may be overpowered two can defend themselves but a court of three is not easily broken and it's matthew 18 verse 18 i tell you the truth whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven now follow me i don't preach this on sundays in fact i never share this god told me i had to Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together, he said, I'm right in the middle of them. Remember my sermon I shared here, power of friendship and agreement. See, Jesus was a people person. Jesus knew how to build a team. He was a CEO. Uh, he, 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 I, 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 he decided what I've got to do on earth, I'm not doing without some friends. He didn't just walk in and say everybody bow. Jesus chose 12 that would walk with him. They would share his intimate thoughts, three of which would, would go to the secret place with him and he could talk to and he'd take them through tragedies and triumphs and teachings and, and walk. Then he chose 70 and then he called 500 and 120 of which showed up in an upper room and and that is the way it is he had a circle around him he had different levels of friendships the disciples can be divided into three different levels of friendships if you study their names and mark chapter 3 verse 9 it even says because of the crowd jesus gets done ministering one day he told his disciples have us have a boat ready for me i feel crowded in other words, give me a place I can go hide. Public people are usually shy. And what you got to understand, he would take those to the Mount of Transfiguration. He would take them through paths of questioning and, and suffering and great revelation. But what he did, he determined, I will not do it alone. We've got too many islands. Too many targets, too many wounded, wandering by themselves, being picked off as prey by the devil. And I'm preaching truth this morning, whether you like it or not. So all of you that have been wounded in churches, get over it. I got so tired as a pastor of hearing what the last pastor did. Then they would tell me when I would try to launch something, how he did that right. And I, I'm fine with that. Don't don't be an armchair quarterback. Get in the game with me. Huddle up. Put on put on the uniform. Let's get hit together. Let's score touchdowns and take sacks together. Are you with me so far? See, I'm looking for people to get a hold of what I'm preaching about. What I love about Jesus is he went after the nobodies. He went after the ones nobody else would even like. The ones that everybody else would say, are you serious? And he would build them into champions. He would go after Simon Peter, who was a big lug, my favorite guy in the Bible. A guy that was always sticking his foot in his mouth. A guy that was always making mistakes, but he was on a journey to greatness. A, a guy that would 
curse him on his worst night, become the ultimate Benedict Arnold, the guy that would fall down, the guy that would run naked into the night, the guy that would grab a sword and chop the ear off the priest soldier, a guy that was always blowing it. He went after him and kept going after him and saying, come on, Peter, come on, Peter. Devil wants to sift you, but I'm going to be with you when you stand back up again. He would say, Peter, I love you. I stand with you. If you love me, feed my sheep. If you love the lambs, feed the lambs. He would say to him, Peter, I I I want you to understand that I'm going to walk beside you. But I love what it says about Peter later on in his ministry. Looking at Acts, the the fifth chapter. See, Peter decided to shadow Jesus. But look what happens when he decided to walk beside Jesus. Then Jesus crucified, resurrected, risen into heaven, ascended into heaven. Then his ministry started, stood up on the day of Pentecost, preached the gospel, and thousands were saved. But look what it says about Peter, the, the ultimate failure in the Bible. They even carried the sick out in the streets and laid them on stretchers and bedrolls, hoping they would be touched by Peter's shadow. So once you learn to shadow you'll get a shadow once you learn to walk beside somebody see what you got to get a hold of jesus had shadows around him people who would die for him one million would die within the first hundred years of jesus dying on the cross being fed to the to lions and burned on the stake for this thing called christianity but they would spread from that little upper room of 120 and they would impact the world and we are here today because somebody walked down the stairs of the upper room and said i gotta tell somebody about the somebody Oh, I wish you'd get a hold of this. Give him a praise offering. And what I love about Jesus is, is, is so much of his life is, can be reflected if you go back to whose seed he came from, which was that of David, a young king. See, write this down. Every leader needs a shadow. They need someone to walk beside them, someone that will learn from them. David's story is such a marvelous one. He went against the odds. I was telling the men yesterday, he was the one picked out of all nine brothers. He was the eighth, which means new beginnings. And God chose him. He was a nobody. He was most most likely illegitimate. Here's David. He would kill a, a, a giant after he killed the lion and the bear. And you know what the lion is, the thing that pounces on you. And the bear is the thing that hibernates in you and only comes out when it's hungry. And you can't defeat it unless you play dead. And and what you got to understand is David would be raised up a nobody. When God was done with Saul, he would raise up this young kid. Saul's name means desired of. David means hidden, borrowed, uh, or hidden or borrowed from. And so what you've got to understand is I love the story of David. He was a praise and worship leader. He'd rather worship than do anything else. He just, he he went against the odds. He would fulfill the role of prophet, priest, and kings at different times. And at times he would go through deep anguish for his own mistakes other times he would act as a madman for the for the nation he he was always making mistakes yet yet i love the life of david he had no aspirations to rule the world he did not have the heart of a napoleon uh, bonaparte or 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 an alexander the great but david had the heart of god in fact god even said to the prophet samuel i have found somebody that knows me Psalms 91 verse 1, he would write this, you who sit down in the high presence of God, high God's presence, spend the night in Shaddai's shadow. So the story of David takes on an entirely, you're still with me, right? It's going to get cool now, it's going to get crazy, I'm getting out the sword. Time for a haircut. When you start looking at David's friends, 
everything changes. You start looking at the ones who ran beside him. His life comes in full HD for you. You begin to see it clearly. And and you look at his circle of friends, his mighty men who started out with him in the garbage dumps and the tombs running from a madman. And then eventually living in the palace, kicked out of the palace, eventually joining him back up in the palace. And David had a crowd around him that was so powerful. Uh, people who protected the vision. In particular, when you look at David's closest advisors, there is a man by the name of Abishai. A-B-I-S-H-A-I. Abishai. And what I've learned is that David cannot do it without the Abishais. They're key to everything that he's... God's told him to accomplish. It's that shadow anointing, the second anointing. The Abishai carries I call what I call the Abishai anointing. Sometimes on earth, God gives us earthly shadows. Now, let me show you the making of a great church very quickly. Because here is David, who I'm going to talk about the rest of the sermon, and his friend Abishai. And and he, he, he is, of course, on the run from Saul. But he suddenly finds himself in a cave. And look what it says in 2 Samuel 22 verse 1. So David left Gath and escaped to a cave of Adullam. Adullam means justice for the people. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. And all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him. He became their leader. About 400 men were with him. Now this also includes women and children. Are you still with me? Now understand, follow me for a second. David had a sister named Zariah who had three powerful sons. And one of those was named Abishai. As a young man, as a boy, he comes with his mother to a cave called Adullam to live with Uncle David where Uncle David was hiding from the wrath of Saul. Now let me describe Saul's or David's church. It was not the most prestigious in town. No, no, no. He didn't have the most elite. In fact, he didn't have the, the best facility or all the technology. No, no, no. That's not David's. He, they weren't all white collar workers. Everybody perfect. Everybody didn't pull up in Benzes and, 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 and BMWs. I mean, no, 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 no. If you look at David's church, he, he didn't start out in a great cathedral with the, the, the chairs and, and the, the podium, the, you know, a clear podium, and, and which you should never have in case you forget to zip your zipper. And, and um, no, if you would have named David's church, the title of that church at Adullam that he founded there would be the first church of distressed in debt discontented nobodies (laughs) how's your budget every loser in the kingdom came to his church people who had lost in the eyes of men but in their hearts they were champions and he would take them and begin to work with them. And among this less than prestigious congregation was a young man by the name of Abishai. Follow me. Let me give you five attributes about the Abishai anointing and I'm going to hurry. Number one, the Abishai anointing is born in the tough times. Character is birthed in times of pain. Perseverance produces reverence. We don't like it when we're going through it. When we look back at it, we go, wouldn't give that moment back. God doesn't deliver you out of it. 
until you learn how to deal with it. Or else you can become a cycle. And what you've got to understand is you'll never be pregnant with a vision as long as there's a cycle. And number one, the Abishai anointing is birthed in the tough times. What are you talking about? I think of my father who was saved off the streets of Detroit, worked for the mafia. A man who gets saved, goes to Bible college, Nazarene Bible college, gets filled with the Holy Ghost, gets kicked out of there. It wasn't his fault. It happened in the prayer room. Blame God. He didn't even know what he was doing. He's like, I can't do that. I'm going crazy. I've got this gibberish coming on. I think of the 35 years of ministry that I was, that my father, almost 40 years actually now, that he's been in ministry. And I think of the tough times. He took these little churches that were good for one thing, the making and the breaking of a man of God. That's all they were there for. Everybody in the church was family. It was a giant inbred situation. Their family tree was a bonsai. I remember the tough times. I remember him selling his class ring to buy my sister an Easter dress. I remember getting up in the middle of the night and he'd be on his face weeping for hours. Walking into his office and in that old church by the, the desk was a spot where he would dig his feet as he prayed. Cardboard in his shoes. Remember those tough times. I'm a preacher's kid. Remember the time he took one little church in Alabama and it was past the Montgomery line, which means you're getting into uh, maybe a little more redneck area. And and I'm reminded of this little church he took in a place called Louvern, Alabama. My best friend, because I was raised not to see color because the only color that matters is the color red for the blood. By the way, if you're prejudiced, have fun in hell. And I'm not hanging out with you in heaven. That's truth. I'm reminded of my best friend was black. His name was Johnny. And Johnny was nine years old. And he came to church with me. His father owned a bar. He would sleep under the tables at night as his father would close down his bar in the, the, the seedy, rough part of town. But Johnny and I were best friends. And Johnny would spend the night with us and go to church the next morning. And I remember one Sunday morning, he went to drink out of the water fountain. And all of a sudden, this old codger walks up to him and says, You don't drink out of that water fountain in this church. Now, mind you, I'm not that old church. This is late 70s, early 80s. My father heard him. My dad's a big man. Just a little bit of anger. Get the boy out of Detroit, but it's hard to get that Detroit out of that boy. (laughs) He's still got a list of people he can call to take care of some things. And... All of a sudden, he walks up to, to that man who's telling my friend, Johnny, he can't drink from the water fountain. And he looks at him. He said, let me tell you something. The district asked me to come here. And he said, you've had six pastors in the last two years, and you're about to lose me. But they already told me that if I left, they would shut the place down, and you'll lose your preeminence hold on this little piece of garbage building. If you mess with him, you mess with me. That old redneck farmer walked away. church fell in love with Johnny they put him through college at Auburn University Johnny became the the lead lawyer for the Olympics and that church was at his graduation that church paid for his college 
Remember my dad getting elected to a church, which is not biblical, and um, board member standing up on that night. He was elected and said, what will your wife do for us? And my dad is, he's a silly rabbit. And uh, my dad, my dad suddenly looks up and says, I bet you want her to work with the children, cook meals, do this, clean the church, all that. And the board member says, yes, we do. And he said, my dad said, put an ad in the paper. She doesn't work for you. She's my wife. So much more I could tell you the times we stood in line for food stamps, the times we killed 70 rats in one month. Poured a bowl of cereal and baby rats fell out of it. I could tell you some stories, see, friends, but what you got to understand, the church work days where it was us five and no more that would show up for those church work days and the missed ball games, the crawling to the pulpit with crippling arthritis until God healed him one day. The only time he would feel relief from his arthritis till he got in the pulpit and then one day he walked down and God healed him, but he would sit and weep in pain and he would sing an old song, I would not be denied, I would not be denied. When pangs of death seize onto my soul and to the Lord I cry. He'd sing it every Sunday, could not sing. And... Until the Lord came and made me whole, I would not be denied. See, I'm telling you about this. I can tell you stories Karen and I have walked through. Things that have happened. The time a cult group tried to steal our son when he was two and we had to put him in hiding because they didn't like what we were doing in Indianapolis. I could tell you stories. In fact, one of my former leaders is in the house here from Indianapolis. See, let me tell you, there's been hundreds of confrontations and I guarantee you there's been hundreds of confrontations in your life, Pastor Paul. But but what what I, what I love is, is you're not always here to do the popular thing and what you've got to understand is you've not, not always done what people thought was uh how it should be handled but but you know what i love about you i guarantee you when you stand behind this sacred desk every sunday morning and your eyes scan this crowd you love everybody you are a lover of people you and pastor kim but what i love about you is i guarantee you your eyes fall on certain individuals and they're special because they could have left they could have sided. And you're, they're special. They could have chased the newest, the newest fire engine coming through town, the newest gathering. But see, there's something about the anointing birth in the tough times that makes it more special. Scars are proof that God heals. And, and what you've got to understand is, I, I think of the pastor you and I went to a ball game with a couple weeks ago, George Sawyer. I was his youth pastor in Decatur, Alabama, almost 20 years ago. And George pastors a church of uh, about 3,000. And he's a precious man. And I'm reminded of the Sunday morning I had the phone call and he said, meet me in my office. All the staff got called in at 7 a.m. at our office and he announced to us that his 15-year-old daughter was pregnant. And he stood up in front of that church that Sunday morning and wept and said, said what most pastors would have sent her away or hidden some kind of abortion thing or said she got sick or but he wasn't like that he's not like that he's my friend and he stood up and he said my daughter is pregnant and and while i'm disappointed in this and the mistake that she made the baby is not a mistake there's no such thing as illegitimate children just illegitimate parents and he said so those of you that would get mad at us he said you go ahead but don't you touch her or touch this child because this is my granddaughter now that's coming Let me tell you about that little girl. She just won preaching for the state of Alabama. That little child that was birthed out of wedlock and fine arts. She swept the state. See, I, I, 
I, I, I love David because he brought these people from the four corners of the kingdoms. They sent around the campfire. They began to build vision. They began to take on an identity. They began to get out of debt corporately, a unifying of a vision. And so number two, and I'm going to hurry, the Abishai anointing, though it's birthed in the tough times. But number two, it falls upon ordinary men and women who are simply committed. It's not, uh, they doesn't fall on the Superman. Well, what do you mean? First Chronicles 11, verse 20, Abishai, it says, Abishai, the brother of Joab, was chief amongst the three. He raised his spear against 300 men whom he killed. And so Abishai was a fighting machine. And, and, and so he became as famous as his three, as the three, as his two brothers. And he was doubly honored above the three and became their commander, even though he was not included among them. What in the world? Here's a man that had a certain gifting for fighting, but the word says right here, he was better than some, not as good as others. How many of you say that's kind of where I'm at, Pat? There's, a, there's evangelists out there that are way better than me, and there's some that, that aren't. And, and that's certainly the way I would describe myself, kind of the middle of the pat guy. Better than some, not as good as others. There are folks that, that, that may be here that have better giftings than you, but there's others that don't. And in other words, you're kind of the middle of the pack. Bill Gates said it best. Teamwork is the fuel that allows common people to produce uncommon results is the extraordinary, extraordinary empowerment of the ordinary. And it's men and women who are willing to sit around the campfire and say count me in i'm a part of this thing now pastor don't you dare call on me to sing because my mama didn't lie to me you know what i'm saying it'll get bad now now pastor don't ask me to stand up and give a speech because my knees will be louder than my voice and that ain't me pastor or pastor you know i know we're taking a special offering and and we needed a champion to step up and pay for the school assemblies but i i can't do that but i'll tell you what i'll do i'll pay my tithe because it's new testament and god says you're a thief if you don't and so so but pastor i'm gonna pay my tithe it's not gonna be as high as somebody else's tithe but it ain't gonna be as low as others and the pastor, I, I'll be here when you say be here. I'll, I'll open the doors. I'll clean a bathroom. I'll be like the men I saw yesterday as we came back from lunch that were taking stuff out to the dumpsters, loading stuff. And your pastor said, thank you, Lord. I drove right by these fellows out there working in the heat some three hours after the conference was over. That, that is the Abishai's. I'm here for you, Pastor. I'm just a foot soldier. That's the citizenry of the difference-making kingdom of God is the Abishai anointing. They're simply willing to say, I'm not the best, I'm not the worst, but I'm here. And it's the here that make this happen. And, and then number three, the Abishai anointing is always ready to go. It's the guy that's always ready to go. What do you mean? Look at this. This is going to get good now. i got to get my sword out and get ready to... to um, cut some fat away. And... Uh, but the Abishai anointing is number one, birthed in the tough times. Number two, it falls on normal people. And then number three, it's always ready to go. What do you mean? First Samuel 26. The Bible says he set out scouts and learned that Saul had definitely arrived. Then David set out and went to a place where Saul had camped. This is a cool story. He saw where Saul and Abner, son of Ner, the commander of the army, had lain down. Saul was lying inside the camp with the army encamped around him. David then asks the two fellows with him. David asks Ahimelech the Hittite. Now, remember, he, he's not Jewish. He's a pagan. He's a heathen. But he had joined himself as a fighting machine. David asks Ahimelech the Hittite. And Abishai, there he is, son of Zariah, Joab's brother. Get ready, because in a little bit we're going to see where his brother's name disappears behind him. 
David looks at him and he says, who will go down into the camp with me to Saul? I'll go with you, said Abishai. Now, David is hiding from Saul. Listen to me closely. The drama is coming to a head. The scene is one of great tension. You can almost hear the dramatic music. Saul has been chasing David. He hates David because David's there to take his place. And, and Saul is lying there. He's sound asleep. He's got his soldiers around him in a circular format to keep no one from getting penetrating. David, who's a lunatic, an adventurer, a man's man, he knew how to shake a man's hand, knew how to wear his pants. He's an outdoors type. When he, got, when he finally gets to the palace, I bet he bows to the wrong people. Betty gets in the palace and says, dude, look at that up there. That'd be a great tree stand up there. I could kill a deer from there. David's with some of his men. These are Robin Hood. I mean, they're just a bunch of nobodies on the run, enemies of the kingdom. And so all of a sudden, uh, uh, so he goes to the camp, gets a good look at Saul laying there, and he runs back to the two of the men, and he says, hey, ha! I just saw Saul. He's got his army around him. I found him. Yep, there's three of us. Let's go fight him. Let's go kill him. There's a Ahimelech the Hittite, and, and he's joined himself to David, but given himself this would-be king and he was a fighting machine and david says i found them saul and all his men giant army middle of the night there's three of us let's go get them now that's some odds he kind of knew who was on his side then all of a sudden david looks at the two guys that have been scouting with him in the middle of the night and he looks at abishai he looks at ahimelech and he goes now who wants to go with me (laughs) That's a leader, because the leader says, I'll go. I'll lead. Not you go. And Ahimelech sits there silently. Oh, dear God, that he would deliver us in this time of trials and victory from that Ahimelech spirit that sits silently. That spirit that always says, can we afford it, Pastor? The answer will be always be in a resounding no. <laughs> you think it'll work, Pastor? I don't know. I know what God told me. How much will it cost? Do you think it's logical? Oh, that God would deliver us from the Ahimelechs and the body of Christ that think it's their job to keep us in check. Yes, we need wisdom around us. Yes, we need people that will tell us, hey, this will work, that won't work. But God, give us some Abishai's. Because David says, who will go with me? And if you look at what the word says right there, right there, it says all of a sudden Abishai says, I'm in. I'll go. Abishai's a redneck. That brother probably had two teeth. He flossed with a rope. I guarantee. I mean, Abishai, you're going to find out if I love Abishai. I'm going to meet him when I get to heaven. We're going to shake hands. We're going to arm wrestle. And and so you look at him. And going, if you'd have walked up to Abishai right there, and I'll go with you, said Abishai. If you'd have said, Abishai, where are you going? I don't know. I'm with him. What y'all going to do down there? There's three of you. Whole army. How you going to win? I don't know. I'm with him. How are you going to get down there? I don't know. I'm 
with him. Where he goes, I go. I don't know how it's all going to happen, but I trust him. I'm going to run. If anybody would have asked Abishai at that moment, I don't know. See, the Abishai anointing, the shadow anointing is always ready to go. The pastor stands up and says, hey, we're going into a high school. It's going to cost us this much. And and and, and I don't know how we're going to do it, but I need somebody here. God told to give $1,000. And, and, and uh, uh, pastor, what are we going to do? I don't know. pastor stands up and says, God told me to build a house like our friend in Dallas bought an old mansion on the freeway for for girls that have been trafficked trafficked, that are pregnant and need a place to stay so they don't abort the child and for girls that are hurting and and, and the pastor stands up and says we're going to do this or that and people will go, can we afford it pastor? You know the economy out there and I've been watching the news and the stock market and and has it ever been done before? The Ahimelechs will always ask and the answer will always be no. Can we afford it the answer will always be no but you just hide and watch and sit back and hey stay behind your little hidden place called a rock and all of a sudden watch because if you'll catch in the distance you'll see two guys running with their swords right beside them and they're on their way down into battle with no answers with no rhyme with no reason and just to the back to the right of that leader you'll see a guy smiling with a lunatic look going let's go get him I'm not missing out. If we die, we die. But we die swinging the blade. We die with our sword in our hand. And fire in our bellies. See, I'm trying to get, see, I'm trying to get something across to you. Give me some men around me that are willing to die. Give me some men. Give my board of directors. I love it when I can email them and say, hey, we're walking through this or I got this crazy idea. I'm going to Singapore in two weeks and we're going to go change some lives of kids that will be there from other nations that will eventually die for the cause of Christ. Give me some, give me some people. I love it when I was with Pastor Barnett for, uh, one time and we were speaking at a conference and I walked up to one of his board members. He announced the Dream Center needed Raised nine million dollars in thirty days, and all of a sudden I look at this guy as Pastor Bernard speaking, and it's his one of his board members. And I said, "What is that like when he walks into a board meeting and says, I got this crazy idea to build a, a dream center in L.A. and I need nine million dollars?'" He said, "Our pastors never come in and not heard from God, so when he says it, we say yes, sir." Now watch, because I'm almost done. In verse 7, so David and Abishai go to the camp. Verse 7 goes on to say, so David and Abishai went down to the army by night. And there was Saul lying asleep inside the camp with his spear stuck in the ground near his head. Abner and the soldiers were lying around him. Abishai said to David, today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Give me somebody that will give me a good report before I preach. And all look what happens. Today God has delivered your enemy into our hands. Now let me pin him to the ground. With one thrust of a spear. I won't strike him twice. This is a cool moment. But David, being the pastor he is, said to Abishai, Don't kill him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, and he said, The Lord himself will strike him. Either his time will come and he will die, or he will go into battle and perish. What do you got to understand? What you got to understand is an incredible scene. The dramatic music is building. They get down to the camp. God has put them in a supernatural slumber. And, and all of a sudden, David and Abishai are leaning over the king of Israel, an evil, demonically possessed king. And, 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 and all of a sudden, Abishai looks over and he goes, Hey! 
die. David's looking at him. His former spiritual father of his. And Abba says, hey, won't you let me kill him? It won't take me twice, dude. I'll shish kebab him. I'll put this. I'll put this. Watch. I'll do a drama for you. You know what I call that? Covenant talk. Well, Pat, what do you do when somebody doesn't like something? When I, when I, somebody comes to me and tells me they don't like something about our pastor. Number one, you get to the altar and ask yourself where you got that magnetic demonic spirit that allowed them to talk to you. But number two, what you got to do is you got to begin to understand that grace is always desired, but we don't like to give it. And 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 number three, you've got to ask yourself. You've got to ask yourself, do I want the same mercy that, or do I want to give the same mercy that I would expect? And and so you've got to begin to ask those questions and say no 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 and i'll close i've gone too long and but the the number four the abishai anointing fights for righteousness now follow me on this scripture right here in second samuel 16 david is being thrown out of his own palace out of his own home by his son absalom and as they're running out One of Saul's relatives, the former king's relatives, is on a levee looking over them. And look what it says. As King David approached Baharum, a man from the same clan as Saul's family came out from there. His name was Shimei, son of Gerar. And he cursed as he came out. He pelted David and all the king's officials with stones through all the troops. And though all the troops and the special guard were on David's right and left. He cursed Shimei said, get out, get out, you man of blood, you scoundrel. The Lord has repaid you for all the blood you shed in the household of Saul. This is obviously somebody bitter from the last church. And in whose place you have reigned, the Lord has handed the kingdom over to your son Absalom. You've come to him to ruin because you are a man of blood. Then Abishai, son of Zariah, said to the king, hey, um. Hey, king, do you mind if uh, I don't know who this dead dog is that's talking to you here? Can I go cut his head off? <laughs> I think Ab- Abishai had some anger issues. Let me go ahead. Let me go cut his head off because your enemy is my enemy. Let me let me go take him out. See, you understand life was good for the mighty man at this point. They were eating steak every night, living in a palace, no longer living in caves in the wilderness. And they could have chosen to side with David's son. Some did. But as David is escaping at the darkest moment of his life where he would go to. The Garden of Gethsemane, it's where he would end up at. The same place where Jesus would fall down. He'd weep uncontrollably because his boy. And as they're running out, I can see David focused, sword in hand, looking on both sides, people screaming, pelting rocks. And right beside him is, is Abishai. And I can see Abishai as he's running beside him. Hey, king, palace life is good, you know? I know. Um, Uncle David... Mind if I call you that at this moment? 
can't wait to tell my kids about our adventures. But Uncle David, uh, I like living out in the woods. Uncle David, I don't. That bed you gave me in my palace room is it's lumpy. I don't like it. I'd rather have a rock. Uncle David, what? I'm with you. Where you go, I go. I'm with you. Thanks, Abishai. I'm with you. I'm right beside you. And number five, the Abishai anointing will fight the giant when the, the David is weary. What do you mean? David uh, is old at this point. He decides to get in fighting form and wants to go and fight another battle. But he's old. And how many of you know our, uh, our bodies can't do what they used to could do? Our minds still say I'm 16 and can play eight hours of tennis, but... All this won't let me. Reminded of being at a youth camp. Playing against a bunch of little heathen teenagers. Basketball. I love hoop and I'm running down the court and I say, throw it to me. And as they threw it to me, it may have been Scott Jakeway. They threw it to me. The ball went out of bounds, but I thought I could stop the ball and thought I could get it. My head said I could. My body said, what are you doing? And I went flying on my belly and skidded across this concrete floor and had a strawberry here for about three weeks. Looked very Hitlerish. Got it and preached that night. This blob right there see sometimes we think we could still do what we couldn't we can't do and or maybe actually never could do and follow me and david thought he could still handle the giants and the bible says this look at the scripture bring that up for me Second Samuel 21, once again, there was a battle between Philistines and Israel. And David went down with the men to fight against the Philistines. And he became exhausted. And Ishbi-Banab, who is Goliath's brother, one of the descendants of Rapha, whose bronze spearhead weighed 300 shekels and who was armed with a new sword, said he would kill David. Let me avenge my brother. And, but Abishai, verse 17, son of Zariah, where's, where's son of brother of Joab? They kind of got rid of that after a while because he had earned his place. And didn't have to be known by his family. He became known by his anointing. And, and But Abishai, son of Zariah, came to David's rescue. He struck the Philistine down and killed him. And then David's men swore to him, saying, Never again will you go out with us to battle so that the lamp of Israel will not be extinguished. Stand up with me across this house. Here's the situation. Please hold steady. It's very important. Not a long altar call today but a critical one for the house. David goes out on the battlefield and he's old and he's got his sword and he's swinging it and he gets out on the battlefield and all of a sudden he goes, I want him. 
And Abishai is standing off and he goes, are you serious? We're going to do this. King, come on now. And so David finds himself fighting this giant, an angry giant at that, the brother of Goliath. It would be the last one needed to die of the five brothers. And he's fighting and he's fighting. And the whole time Abishai is standing over here killing people, but watching the king. And all of a sudden, David gets overpowered. And the king of Israel falls back on the ground. And the giant smiles to kill him. And Abishai, who never took his eyes off the king, (laughs) takes out his guy and spins around. Kills the giant with a blow. And the giant falls over. And David's laying there like this. And he looks up at Abishai and said, I had him where I wanted him. I don't know who you think you are. And as Abishai leans over to help the king up, he says, you ain't never doing this again. David, with fire in his eyes, starts to go off on him. Tell him, who, who are you to talk to the king? And he said, because we can't ever allow the light of Israel to go out. We don't need your light to go out, king. What is a nation without a leader? What is a church without a pastor? It's a scattered flock wounded. I am done. But you always preach on Holy Spirit outpourings. You always preach on Selah or you preach on next beginnings for me. What this is this sermon wasn't about me, Pat, and I live in a narcissist day where I want sermons about it was exactly about you because what you don't understand is I have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And what you don't understand is every point I just gave you describes Jesus. He's always ready to go. Your anointing is birthed in the tough times. What you don't understand. He distinguishes righteousness. What you don't understand is he helps you when you're tired. So what I just preached to you was actually the role of the Holy Spirit in your life. And God wants to move now across this room in three ways. This house is going to explode. But this... Would you shut your eyes across this house from the front to the very back? We'll just play softly for With every eye shut across this house. Jesus 
will birth an anointing in you in the tough times. Jesus, well, he's ready to go with you wherever you want to go. But Jesus, he's your, he really is your best friend. Jesus, he likes ordinary people. Jesus, you see, he'll put righteousness inside of you. And he'll fight that devil when you're tired. That's who Jesus is. He is your Abishai so you can be an Abishai. Running right beside you. Saying, I'll go with you. He wants to be your best friend today. He died on the cross so that he could be your best friend. So with your eyes shut across this place, but you didn't preach a salvation message. I just preached the character of Christ. And with your eyes shut across this place, if you say, Pat, I need Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. He died on the cross, and I've been hurt in church. Maybe you've walked away from because you got hurt. Man hurts you. Man will hurt you. We're all made of dirt. People will hurt you. Get over it. It's part of life. But with your eyes shut across this place, if you say, Pat, I need Jesus to forgive me of the sin in my life. If that is you, I'm not going to beg you. I'm not going to play with you. I'm not going to manipulate you. I'm going to tell you that God is here and this is your moment. And you, too, can have a friend that will run beside you and in you and around you and get your back. And if you, with your eyes shut, need this Jesus I just spoke about. Raise your hand now. Come on. Yes, yes, sir. Come on, come on, come on, Mom. Man, there's hands going up all over this place. Wow. Wow. Come on. You raise your hand. There's a bunch in the back. Come on. Who cares if anybody sees you? Who gives a rip? My father didn't care if somebody would have walked in the bathroom beside a toilet in Detroit when he flushed $2,000 worth of dope down it and gave his heart to Christ. And I wouldn't have cared in my bedroom at 16 years old what anybody thought when I screamed, God, I need you. Keep your hand raised. Keep your hand raised. Keep your hand raised. You say, I want Jesus Christ. Now, keep you keep your hand raised. But if you say, Pat, I've walked away from God or I'm not where I used to be with God and I'm ready for him to change me this morning, raise your hand as well. Come on, put it up high. Who cares? Come on, who cares? And then the third call on this. If you say, Pat, I love God. And I know He's real. But I, I want to be restored to relationship. Raise your hand. Keep those hands up. I'm telling you. I'm telling you, there's hands up all over this house. Now, so know that no one feels alone. Everyone raise both hands in the air and put your hands on the cross. Join the cross with me, would you? With your hands raised, everybody in this house, pray this out loud. Dear Jesus, I need you to forgive me of all of my sin. You died on the cross. You rose again. I'm not alone. Put your spirit inside of me. Forgive me, heal me, fix me. Today, I want to follow you. Jesus, will you run beside me? Here I am. Take all of me. Here comes the Spirit. Here comes the Spirit right now. Here comes the presence of God all over you. It's just flooding you. You feel that? 
He's just healing, healing. Some of you go start crying. Some of you are weeping. He's just healing you all over this house. Say, Jesus, welcome home. Put your hands down. Look at me. Second call. How many of you can say, Pat, I have been wounded in a church, synagogue, whatever. And I need God to heal what I was raised in or what I saw so that I can start seeing with a better set of glasses. He can clean off my lenses. I need God to heal my history. Because I maybe you saw a guy fall. Maybe you got, saw a woman mess up. Maybe you saw somebody that abused power. You'll never get that here. But if you say, Pat, I need God to heal my history, raise your hand now. Come on, come on, Christians. Come on, preacher's kids in the house. There's preacher's kids in this house that you have not been involved with even church because you've got a bad taste in your mouth. God's about to put some Holy Spirit Listerine in there. If you can raise your hand and say, Pat, I've seen garbage in the church at times, raise your hand, be honest. Now raise the other hand, get on the cross. Because he died for the church. What you don't like, he died for. Everybody raise your hands across the house. Pray this out loud. In Jesus' name, we forgive our history. We forgive those who have hurt us. Restore our, uh, restore our hearts. Remove our pain. We trust again. Clean our minds. Today, we are part of one body. With many parts. Say this out loud. Today, welcome home. Say this. I am home. Oh, give my God a praise right now.